Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Hey everyone, from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. And today on The Breakdown, we're going to get all behind the scenes on President Trump's visit to California this week. That's right. We'll be joined by Wade Crowfoot, California Secretary of Natural Resources, who had a viral moment with the president. But first, our very own Katie Orr also got some FaceTime with President Trump this week. And Katie, welcome back to The Breakdown. Is this three or four weeks in a row? Oh, like, I don't <laughs> Who knows? We've like all you lost said, our time is a flat circle. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, we appreciate you being back. And it's because you've been working your butt off there in Sacramento. It was end of session. It's wildfires. It's COVID. And now President Trump touches down. Um, tell us about your day. I think this was Monday, right? Um, yes. You were part of a small group who saw him basically on the tarmac, essentially. Right. I was part of uh, a gaggle of reporters who was credentialed to watch Air Force One land um, before Trump came to get his um, briefing. And But I wasn't part of the pool that was actually going to get a chance to ask him questions. So when he came off of the plane, he um, turned and walked over to the pool that was designated and, you know, he knew he was going to have some chit chat with them. But then when he turned to go back uh, to get into his limo, uh, Carla Marinucci and I from Politico, Carla's from Politico, we both just started yelling, you know, Mr. President, Mr. President, please come over. And he did, (laughs) which was very unexpected because any reporter will tell you those photo ops are usually a ton of waiting around for very little um, actual usable content. (laughs) And we should say, just for context, this was not a very long planned trip. He kind of added it on. He was in Nevada over the weekend doing campaigning, and he kind of was getting some criticism for not saying anything about the wildfire. So he tacked this on. So, you know, you kind of did get the sense he wasn't thrilled about being here. We'll get into that more with Wade in a minute. But, um, you know, what was your what was your sense of him? And Like, what questions did you get to ask him? Right. So he walked over and um, first uh, he was asked, you know, just what's your message for California? Oh, California, great state. We love California and all that. And there was just, I think, 
There was just a moment of silence because everyone was so stunned that he had actually come over to us. And I just kind of jumped in and said, you know, Mr. President, what role do you think climate change is playing in these fires? And that's when he started saying, well, I believe it's primarily about forest management versus climate change. And we uh, went from there. But it was just a very very surreal um, experience. I've covered a lot of politicians, and I will say very, very few of them um, kind of deviate from the the planned structure of the event and come and, and speak to speak to reporters like that. Uh, you mentioned Carla Marinucci, my former colleague over at The Chronicle. She um, asked him why it took him so long to say anything publicly about these fires. Um, and he had a pretty Trumpian response to that, too, right? <laughs> yes, he called her question nasty. And I have to say, the second he said it, both Carla and I just kind of started to laugh because I, – <laughs> It's just it was just like such a badge of honor. I mean, it's like a bingo card, right? Like he nasty question. And um, so it was just it, it was just, again, a very surreal experience. And after he had left, every reporter there starts coming up to Carla. And, oh, but you're nasty. You're nasty. You know, like everyone was so excited for her and that she say, got called nasty. Yeah, that's like, yeah, like I said, a badge of honor in, in a way. Um, you know, and we should point out, too, that usually when presidents arrive in a state, they come down, you know, the stairs from Air Force One, the governor, the mayor, local officials greet the president. Who, and there was like no one there when he got off the plane, right? At least no no officials. Right, right. And I think um, that was a very strategic move on Governor Gavin Newsom's part because we have seen uh, press opportunities in the past where the governor has been there uh, right before he took office. He and then Governor Jerry Brown met with the president um, at another wildfire site. And we could, you know, we're so close to the election now that I think the governor, Governor Newsom, didn't want to give the president any um fodder, right? You know, he doesn't want that photo out there of him shaking the president's hand while three million acres are burning in California. And uh, he is very actively trying to uh, elect the president's opponent. Yeah. And we should say, I mean, I also heard at his press conference yesterday, he commented, you know, the COVID numbers would be great if you took the blue states out of the equation. So <laughs> where all those people live, <laughs> you know, straining credulity about like, is California a place you like? Um, well, <laughs> as you mentioned, the elections just around the corner. I think we're like 46 days away or something. Um, but who's counting? Um, Katie, the other thing you covered this week was a PPIC poll looking at a couple of ballot measures. One of them would restore um, affirmative action at public institutions in California, including universities. The other other um, would make some changes to our decades-old property tax laws by um, basically making it easier to increase property taxes on commercial properties. What what do these polls find for these two um, pretty controversial ballot measures? Yeah, they're both um, facing some tough battles, uh, especially Prop 16 that would restore affirmative action. I was shocked to see that um, the PPIC found just 31% of voters are supporting it. That's low, <laughs> especially, as you mentioned, so close to this election. And especially since the opposition is like basically unfunded, it doesn't, you know, there's not a lot of strong opposition to it. Um, and I was speaking to Mark Baldessari, the president and CEO of PPIC, who was saying that the proponents have to do a better job of linking this national conversation on 
uh, social justice and racial inequality to this uh, proposition to reinstate affirmative action, because clearly voters are not getting that message right now. Well, and you have to wonder, too, I mean, Prop 209, which would be revoked essentially by uh, Prop 16, that was, what, 24 years ago. And you have to think most people maybe don't even know that there was a ban, that they would overturn the ban. I mean, and the thing is, it's unlike a lot of issues like should we pass a bond for schools or should we raise taxes or not? This is a complicated issue. You know, it's not like gay marriage where you're either for it or against it, whatever. This one, you have to do some education. And there's not a lot of time. There's very little time. Yeah, not a lot of time. And this is one of a dozen ballot measures on the ballot. So, you know, voters in California, they say, you know, you always want to be on the no side of a proposition, because if somebody is uncertain about something, they're just going to vote no, you know, keep the status quo. And of course, proponents are on the yes side of this proposition. So that makes it even, you know, makes it that much more difficult for them um, to even get those default voters. And then, Katie, quickly before we go to break, um, there was another uh, – we mentioned Prop 15, which uh, – too many propositions, right? This would repeal portions of Prop 13 from 1978. Thank um, God it's not Prop 13, right? <laughs> it's Prop 15. <laughs> so this is – obviously taxes, property taxes in particular, have always been a hot-button issue in California. Um, this one looks like it has a tiny, tiny majority, right? Right. It's it has about 51 percent. So in a better position than the other um, uh, proposition we just spoke about. But again, it's not safe by any measure. And again, this is another one of those propositions that is pretty confusing to just your typical voter because it's not overturning Prop 13. It's splitting part of it off. And again, a lot of people might just say, you know what, I don't understand this. I'm either going to not vote for it or I'm just going to vote no because I am not informed enough to make a a good decision. And unlike the affirmative action one, there is a lot of money for and against this one. So we're going to see a lot of ads. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Katie Orr, working her butt off in Sacramento. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Thanks, you guys. All right. We're going to take a short break now. And when we return, we'll be joined by Wade Crowfoot. He is California's Secretary of Natural Resources. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of The Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. And our guest today is Wade Crowfoot. He is Governor Newsom's Secretary of Natural Resources. And he went head to head with President Donald Trump this week on climate change and lived to tell the tale. Wade Crowfoot, (laughs) welcome to The Breakdown. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And we should say, I mean, 
Kent and I have known you for a long time because you worked for the governor when he was mayor of San Francisco oh so many years ago. And uh, I don't know. Good to see a friendly face here. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I have a lot of fun listening to you guys. So uh, I'm glad to be on the show. So let's talk about your viral moment. You made national news, had your uh, 15 minutes or maybe more this week. Um, we're going to listen to that clip in a second. But can you set the scene? You guys were in some sort of big hangar, kind of sitting around a U-shaped conference table. Who was there? What was the purpose of this of the meet and greet? Yeah, so I'd start the story even a few days before that, which is uh, myself and Jared Blumenfeld, who runs California EPA, uh, and Mark Laducci, the governor's emergency services director, were with the governor up in Butte County uh, at the North Complex fire. Uh, and we learned of the president and the White House's desire to to come to California. And you have to you know keep in mind, we've been running really hard on 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 wildfire response, you know, over the last several weeks. And so, you know, we sort of noted that, and then that set in motion, obviously, a lot of planning. Uh, it was, as Scott said, it sounded like the president had a political event in Nevada and one in Arizona. Uh, you know, that was sort of the, the bread and the sandwich. And so he was coming to uh, Sacramento uh, and he had a very short time for a visit. So uh, the uh, former Air Force base, one of two former Air Force bases in Sacramento was selected as the place where Air Force One would touch down. Uh, we have a Cal Fire hangar there, which is a, a, a good uh, place for the briefing. And then we also uh, had National Guard members who had conducted that remarkable rescue of hikers uh, from the fires in Fresno County uh, there as well. Uh, so let's see, fast forward to Monday at the Cal Fire hangar, uh, there was obviously a whole lot of activity uh, that included both the, the briefing of the president as well as this uh, ceremony for the National Guard members. And uh, with the president, uh, not on Air Force One, but came out separately, was the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, uh, the administrator for FEMA, and then some other key officials. Uh, so we spent uh, some of the morning briefing them, really sort of more of a detailed tactical briefing on, on wildfire and emergency response. And then, of course, uh, things got interesting when uh, the president <laughs> showed up. Well, let's listen to the exchange that you and the president had. If we ignore that science and sort of put our head in the sand and think it's all about vegetation management, we're not going to succeed together protecting Californians. Okay. It'll start getting cooler. I you, wish, just, you just watch. I wish science agreed with you. <laughs> well, I don't think science knows, actually. So, wait, obviously that exchange made uh, national news, as it should have. But how much, I mean, I assume you had sort of a, what you knew what you wanted to say. And then he responded with, you know, it's going to get cooler. I mean, how, just how scripted were you? And, and what went through your head when he tells you it's going to start getting cooler and science doesn't know anyway? Actually, not that scripted, believe it or not. You know, we wanted to make a couple of clear points that the governor made, certainly before I had an opportunity to speak. The first was, we agree more forest management is necessary uh, and we need the federal government to step up on investment because our, our federal government, our agencies own and manage 57% of California's forests. So a point we needed to make is, hey, we agree with you. We wanna see uh, a comparable financial commitment. And then the other piece that the governor was very clear on going into this is we need to raise climate change. Um, there's no way we're going to have a conversation about wildfire in California if we don't raise climate change. And so the governor made uh, both of those points directly to 
the president. And then there were some other uh, sort of informational points that we wanted to make. But in the moment, I just it was just uh, it just I, I felt like I needed to I needed to continue on that that uh, that climate change point. Well, you know, we've watched the governor over the past months really walk a fine line with this administration. You know, I think working hard not to get into fights like we've seen the governor of Oregon and Michigan get into, um, really trying to stress where there is common ground. I'm curious, you've known Newsom for a long time, as we mentioned. You've worked with him for a long time. Did he prep you for this? And did he ask you to, I don't know, go go easy? Did he give you any advice? Like, what was that conversation like? And, and how do you react to how things played out? Yeah, well, I, I, I back up and say, you know, the federal agencies are critical partners in all of this emergency response. So literally billions of dollars are flowing into the state uh, from FEMA and other agencies. And ultimately, that's a decision of the president. So I think over the last four years, you know, any observer understands that a, a positive working relationship with the president is helpful to facilitate that support. And so I know it's really important to Governor Newsom because that support, you know, means a lot to Californians. And so maintaining the working relationship is critical. At the same time, though, again, you know, he was very clear that we were going to we were going to raise climate change. Uh, in, a, in a way, respectful of the office, respectful of the president, uh, but that we needed we needed to make that point. And so we actually right after the event, uh, we hustled out of there because the governor was going up to an evacuation shelter in in Butte County. And and he was supportive of this. I mean, you know, there's so much happening. It's such a show uh, when the when the president comes, you have all the Secret Service, et cetera. It takes a little while for it even to um you, even to absorb the conversation you just had. And so I literally had about 30 seconds with him before he jumped in his car. Uh, <laughs> but I think he was point, he was, you know, he, his message was, uh, or what he told me is, you know, message delivered, uh, you know, onto the next thing. There was, you know, we understand totally that you have to, you do have to thread the needle. And in fact, the Trump administration has been very helpful. I think most of the emergency declarations, the funding from the federal government has been there. Uh, so you can't complain about that and you don't want to screw that up. At the same time, I think some environmentalists were, you know, a little disappointed to say the least that he would describe it as a difference of opinion. Um, you know, trying to be respectful, maybe not poke the bear too much. Um, you know, what do you, what do you, what have, what have you, heard about that? What were you thinking when you heard him call it a difference of opinion? Because as we all know, it's really not. I mean, science is very clear, as you said. Yeah. Well, you all have covered Gavin Newsom for a long time, and he's not one to shirk away from, uh, you know, driving issues that are controversial, whether it's marriage equality, uh, decriminalization, legalization of marijuana, gun control, etc. So he was very clear about climate change, and he's been very clear about climate change. You know, I can't I can't pick apart, you know, three words in a in a long paragraph that the governor said to the president. Nobody but, can because uh, he kind of talks in word salad a lot, let's be honest. <laughs> but you, you know, don't have I to think I, he's not gonna he's not gonna pick <laughs> pick up on that. You know, I mean at the end of the day, what you know, we needed to elevate we needed to elevate the importance of climate change, and I think we did that. And you know, this whole exchange going viral has given us a platform to talk more about climate change and impacts on California wildfires. At the same time, we had a constructive discussion with the president and the working relationship continues with FEMA. So from our perspective, you know, we were actually able to maintain balance and keep and, and do both things. 
So I want to we, we do want to get into the issue of forest management and kind of how we tackle this. But, um, you know, you worked for the previous governor, Jerry Brown, obviously, you know, same party as Newsom, a lot of the same issues, but very different styles. How how do you see that playing out in this issue around climate change, around forest management? Like it does it feel very different? Well, I mean, they are very different leaders uh, in many ways, but I, I think the the strength of California's climate leadership is we've had real continuity. So not only Governor Brown, obviously, but Governor Schwarzenegger as a Republican governor before him that actually embraced climate change. And so we've actually had, you know, 16 years of, of climate leadership. Um, so obviously the leadership expresses itself in different ways. They're going to present the issue in different ways. They're going to tackle the different you know, policies. But, you know, I think that there's a lot of lot of consistency. I do think, you know, as as Governor Newsom said on Friday, this last month has been alarming for all of us. And you guys are, you know, for those who live in the Bay Area and seeing those orange skies where it never lightened up that day, feeling apocalyptic. I have a six year old who has, you know, who who just was able to play outdoors for the first time in several weeks, two days ago. So I think for us, you know, that there's a threat of that climate leadership. But as the governor said on Friday, even though California in many ways has led the world on climate action, we have to do more and we have to do it quicker. You mentioned, of course, that the vast majority of the forest lands are owned and should be managed by the federal government. California, of course, also has some responsibility. What more specifically do you think the federal government needs to do? Because there was an agreement recently between the federal government and California for, you know, to spend a lot of money to to do some of that uh, raking of leaves, as the yeah. president likes to talk about. But, you know, what else needs to happen? Well, and maybe we can just back up because, you know, the, the president does put it in really interesting terms of raking of leaves and exploding trees. And I think for a lot of people, it's easy, easy to make light of that. But what we're really talking about is uh, actually getting into the forest and and engaging in practices like prescribed fire burning, this low level burning to reduce density of forests that tribal communities in California had been doing for millennia before it was outlawed by uh European American settlers, that type of thing, community oriented fuel breaks. So you're thinning uh, the vegetation around communities and then even landscape level work where you can actually reduce the density of our forests. Now that obviously has to be based on ecological principles uh, because it has to benefit the biodiversity in the forest and and to protect against catastrophic wildfire. So that's what we're talking about uh, on forest management. And it's clear federal agencies can and should be doing more. Over the last several years, uh, the U.S. Forest Service has managed about 200,000 acres uh, of land, this forest management per year. This past year, as a result of, of increased investment from Governor Newsom and the legislature, will and the state get up to about 400,000 uh, acres of, of treated land. Now, remember, federal agencies own 57 percent of California's forests. The state owns 3 percent. So from our perspective, there needs to be a more equitable investment, at the very least, of the federal agency. Governor Newsom signed an, uh, uh, an agreement with the U.S. Forest Service just about six to eight weeks ago that commits both state government and the federal government to treating 500,000 acres of forest every year. And that would be more than doubling uh, what actually the, the federal agencies have done to date. So we think there's a real path forward for the federal government to do more. 
you mentioned your six-year-old kid. I have four and seven-year-old boys. Um, it has been a really, I think, terrifying week, really not just in California, right? Up and down the West Coast, we're seeing in Oregon now, um, now Central California is is in those terrible air quality index zones. It's scary. I mean, what message do you have to the public, especially those of us with kids, about that fear and, and like what people can do? Because if I think back on my lifetime here in California, it's really remarkable how fast we've gone from, you know, a couple fires a year to it feeling like the entire state is on fire. Yeah. I'll say this, which is we used to talk about climate impacts in kind of a conceptual way and talking about these, you know, potentially scary impacts materializing, you know, the middle of the century. And the fact is, if you live in California, you know, you've lived through sustained periods of toxic air uh, for, you know, uh, many of the last several years. My six-year-old, you know, got her first N95 mask at three years old. And I remember that because we had to get kind of one with teddy bears because she was so freaked out about wearing it. Now it's the norm. I mean, we have a whole tray full of masks. And that was before the pandemic. So it is scary. And I think we need to acknowledge that and be empathetic to people being alarmed and worried about this. I think that there's a lot that we can do, actually, uh, and that is uh, take action. So not obviously, not 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 only uh, vote and become politically engaged, um, support people who are going to take action on climate change, um, but then also things that we can do in our own lives. Now, will that mean that you know what you do in your own life to make that next purchase decision on an electric vehicle versus a conventional car is that going to clean the smoke? You know, the smoke the, the following the season? No, not necessarily. But we obviously, you know, think globally, act, act locally. I will say, though, it's not gloom and doom. Uh, and California has demonstrated that we have a pathway to actually effectively tackle climate change. You know, California, fifth largest economy in the world, has outpaced national economic growth by 30 percent over the last decade while we're reducing pollution. Well, let me ask you about that, because as you say, it's uh, there are a lot of uh, policy decisions that go into all this and tackling climate change. And a lot of environmentalists have been very unhappy that regulators and your department overseas uh, handing out oil and gas drilling permits to fossil fuel companies. And they want, uh, you know, they really want more restrictions on that. And I'm yeah. wondering, you know, how do you feel about that? Do you support more restrictions? And, you know, should California put in place another moratorium on new fracking licenses? Yeah, so Californians last year consumed 616 million barrels of oil uh, to, to drive around California. While we have half of the electric vehicles in the country, that our electric vehicles in California represent about 2.5% of the cars on the road. So the fact is, we still have major reliance, some would argue addiction, to fossil fuels. Now, if we stopped you know, extracting oil tomorrow... Uh, from uh, oil fields in California, uh, that demand would not reduce. We would import more uh, oil from places like Ecuador and Saudi Arabia, where they have less environmental regulations. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't uh, phase out the production of, of fossil fuel. We, I think we need to, and so does the governor. But we need to do it uh, in parallel with reducing demand. So we're focused actually on reducing ultimately the demand for the fossil fuel because that's what's gonna reduce pollution, but then doing our part to keep it in the ground by reducing, uh, by reducing uh, production in the state. 
you know, you mentioned fracking, Scott, uh, 48 fracking permits issued this year, uh, about 25% of the amount uh, issued last year, uh, lowest amount since uh, this sort of landmark legislation passed called SB4. Uh, fracking uh, produces about 2% of the oil uh, in the state, uh, less than 1% of all the oil consumed in the state. So, you know, while we're actually, you know, we, we entertain the, the concerns around fracking, I think if, we, if, you know, climate activists were to focus on fracking and fracking went away tomorrow, it would have a negli- negligible impact on, on ultimately the state's climate action. Um, Wade, we like to end on a, on a more positive note. I know that you are one of the pioneers of something called Sunday Streets in San Francisco. This is where you shut down city streets to cars so people can bike and run and have fun in the streets. This has been expanded massively, not just here, but in other cities since COVID happened to give people more urban playgrounds. Um, are you hopeful that we'll see more things like this become permanent, even if this pandemic ever ends? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I loved I loved helping to start Sunday Streets and the you know San Francisco Bike Coalition and a bunch of others uh, deserve credit. Ultimately, the city of Bogota, Colombia, was where we got the idea, and it's just the best of policy innovation. You know, you basically bring the open space to the people and sort of reclaim the streets for the people. I'm so excited that it's actually stayed a thing in in San Francisco and moved elsewhere. Obviously, and yeah, absolutely, Marissa. I mean, we need to. There's a lot of of silver linings that we could talk about as a result of this pandemic. And one of them is, yeah, let's not just return to normal. Let's figure out what's worked uh, during the pandemic and it reintroduce it into our lives. Real quick, what's your what's the yeah. most underrated closed street? We all know about Valencia and, you know, Chestnut. What, oh. What's underrated? In, in, in San Francisco? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. I loved, I loved the uh, Sunday streets and the Tenderloin, like the <laughs> yeah. Golden Gate and, and all those because – you know, it, it'll let everybody interact, including the folks that were living on the street. So it was like it was like street democracy in action. <laughs> yeah, I had a I, I had a fun moment covering one of those with the kids climbing the climbing wall. And uh, also got to give a shout out to near my neighborhood, the Excelsior streets. Those are always fun. Yeah. All right. We're going to leave it there. Wade Crofit, thank you so much for joining us. Thank today. you so much. Thanks, guys. Keep up the great work. That's going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineer is Katie McMurrin. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Tobin Lindsay, Vinnie Tong, Erica Aguilar, and Jonathan Blakely. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter at MLagos. Thanks for listening and hoping for easy breathing this weekend. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there. 
I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.